Hello everyone and welcome to the Campaign Podcast, where we talk about, you guessed it, advertising, media and marketing. Thank you for joining me, me being Omar Oaks, the Media and Technology Editor at Campaign. Today, we review what the fudge has been going on in 2020 in our review of the creative advertising sector this year. Joining Campaign's Brittany Kiefer will be Niels Leonard, co-founder of Oncommon Creative Studio, and Katie McKay-Sinclair, partner at Mother London. Is that not enough ad chat for you? Fine then, stick around for my chat with Sarah Salter, head of innovation at Wavemaker, who will be talking about the big themes in creative and media tech as we have just launched the Campaign Tech Awards 2021. Sarah is chairing the judging panel and she will reveal what she is looking forward to at such a transformative time for tech and marketing. But first, joining me to discuss the week in Adland, it's Gideon Spanier, campaign's editor-in-chief. Hello, Gideon. And now that we've just come out of um, the latest lockdown um, in the UK, can you tell me, is being the editor-in-chief of campaign gotten any more glamorous for you? Hi, Omar. I couldn't say it's got much more glamorous. Uh, I have received a few interesting things in the post from companies because it's that time of year where people send you things at the end of the year to say, hope you've had a good year. But the truth is, I'd say that we as a campaign team are still working remotely. We're having our Christmas get together with the team on via Zoom. So it's not such a big change from last week. Well, it's, I imagine it's very exciting in normal times um, being the editor of um, Campaign Magazine. Lots of people uh, want to take you out for drinks, but um, enough about that. Um, it's obviously um, we're speaking upon the launch of Campaign's latest issue. It's a combined massive double issue, uh, December and January. Um, we've got a number of reviews of the year looking at different things, a number of essays, as well as looking ahead to next year, um, some year ahead thoughts um, from different people in the industry um, from different areas um, and what a year it's been we'll get onto what's specifically in the mag in just a second but let's just go through um, some of the big stories we've seen over the last week just at the time of recording uh, news has just broken that thousands of jobs are at risk again at Dentsu as it says it's going to cut one in eight international roles um, Gideon, uh, was this a surprise? I thought Dentsu had already gone through um, a big round of job cuts. Job cuts have been a theme throughout the year. It's not just in the uh, agency space. So yes, Dentsu is cutting. It has been the weakest performer recently of the big six agency groups, but uh, Omnicom cut 6,000 jobs earlier in the year. They went and cut in um, the summer and WPP cut 5,000. So some of these are structural problems that predated coronavirus. The coronavirus has made them worse. And there's a theme, uh, these groups wanting to simplify their operations. But we've also had the collapse of Arcadia, the owner of Topshop and Debenhams in the UK. Um, that you know That's two businesses. There's been a huge amount of pressure on companies. And I'm afraid that there's going to be more of that in the start of 2021 course um we've written recently in campaign about Dentsu moving to merge iProspect and Visium its performance and media agencies respectively um we've written that Amanda Morrissey has been hired to lead that effort um and on these Dentsu cuts we're reporting that it's going to be a 640 million pounds do we have an idea Gideon about um, the nature of the job cuts, what kind of people are unfortunately going to be let go? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, really, we're speaking just a few hours after it's been announced. So I think it's a bit early to say, and it, uh, also I'm not sure that they would tell us, uh, probably be wrong to speculate. But I think the most significant thing is that the company is cutting 12.5% of its workforce, and it's expecting its revenues to be down 12.5%. So I think you can make a, a sort of informed guess that the, the cuts will be widespread and across large parts of the business for the simple reason that this you know, the coronavirus has led to a coordinated downturn. But we know, as we look back on the year, and you've, you've mentioned that our, our end of year issue is out, that some sectors have done well. So I take healthcare or technology or e-commerce, the clients in those sectors have done well, and those agencies uh, which look after those clients or the teams that looks after those clients have done reasonably well. 
and you know I think that that's probably a theme you'll see continue into 2021. Good news that a vaccine or va- multiple vaccines are coming, but it's going to be you know many many months before really business gets back to some kind of normal. Well, what was quite interesting at the end of last week, and bearing in mind that a lot of these decisions will have been taken months ago, um, we reported last week that um, Group M is forecasting that the UK ad market will only, in finger quotes, only shrink by 4.4% this year. Um, Group M, the WP Media Agency Group, was previously saying over the summer that the slump would be more like 12.5%. So the, the scale of the slump this year is actually worse than we thought. Um, firstly, Gideon, did that surprise you that we're only going to shrink by just over 4.4% this year? Yeah, so you just said that the, the scale of the decline this year is actually going to be less severe, it now looks like. Less severe. Yeah, and um, I think that's the similar kinds of forecasts from Magna, part of Interpublic, and Zenith, part of um, publicists. Yes, I think the, the it's a really interesting question about why might media expenditure or ad expenditure have held up reasonably well? Because, you know, quite a lot of the forecasts are globally for the economy, world economy to have declined, you know, around 5%. But uh, for the UK, where the, the, the decline has been closer to 10%, why should advertising be holding up better? Now, it's clear that things like streaming and e-commerce have done very well. Actually, the amount of time we spent consuming digital media went up during the lockdowns. And things like virtual and face-to-face and high street retail either went up or down as a result. So perhaps that's an explanation for why media and advertising expenditure has held up reasonably well in certain areas, chiefly in digital uh, but there's no question that it's been a very brutal year and for areas like cinema and out of home it's been really really terrible 2020's not been a great year and I, I don't i don't think those forecasts capture the pain that's gone you know companies and people have gone through no that's right um really interesting and in, you mentioned e-commerce um i wrote an essay about e-commerce and streaming um what's happened this year and <laughs> it's hard to believe that it's just one year because so much has happened you think it was all it was at the start of the pandemic in march when disney plus was um, launched in the uk and now just as we're speaking warner brothers has just announced that they're actually going to launch their next slate of movies for next year on their streaming service hbo max for 30 days and in the uk sky has the exclusive right to show um, hbo content and i think they're going to show wonder woman the first movie coming up at Christmas for one month after that initial release. So really, really interesting times. Um, As you might have guessed, listener, the numbers for cinema are pretty bad. Minus 80% down in 2020. Up 160% uh, for 2021, but obviously that's coming from um, a very low base. And the numbers for e-commerce, by the way, quite interesting. They're saying that e-commerce ad spend was zero in 2015. And in 10 years, by 2024, it's going to be 2.4 billion, uh, which is just about 8% of the whole UK ad spend market. Um, So as you say, um, really big numbers for streaming. But um, in your column for the magazine, reflecting what we've just said about it being quite a mixed picture, um, you've said this has been a year that has changed the ad industry for the better. Explain what you mean by that, Gideon. Sure, I will. And uh, let me just say, just because not everyone will have got a copy of the magazine yet. Um, And if you haven't or you don't subscribe, please do subscribe to Campaign and you can go on our website to get a copy. And also you can see a digital version of it. As Omar said at the the start of this, the the magazine is divided into two parts. We've got a review of the year and um, my columns in that. And the review of the year includes some essays on sort of some of the themes we've seen so there's obviously been the huge government communications over the year this biggest public sector um, health messaging campaign ever and we've also got something on virtual pitching uh, working from home the impact of the financial downturn and black lives matter a huge huge movement which really i think has been one of the defining stories of 2020 and then at the back of the magazine 
we've got the year ahead and Maisie McCabe, who's the UK editor, has curated those essays, which are 20 different essays, more than 20 on different trends to expect in 21. So in my column, I was just trying to reflect and make sense of how difficult this year has been. So I don't want to minimise in any way how, what a very, very difficult year 2020 has been. But I think some of the changes which have happened this year, a lot of these changes were happening anyway. And COVID just sort of almost polarised things. Suddenly, if you hadn't tried e-commerce, you were doing it. You hadn't ordered your groceries online before. Well, now you definitely were if you could, particularly if you were, say, in a vulnerable age group. And I think that that's really why I think that it's made the industry better. You've seen a lot of collaboration, and Omar, you've written about that. We saw a couple of weeks ago the supermarkets come together for an ad break in the UK to sort of set out how they are united in their opposition to racism after some of the criticism of Christmas ads. You've seen just a lot of kindness in, in the worst of the lockdowns. You saw media owners give away media space for clap for carers. The, there's been a sense that this this is a hard time and people should collaborate because, frankly, it's the best way to get through this. So I'm an optimist. Uh, I don't wish 2020 to have turned out the way it did. You No one would have been able to ever predict or organize in advance a sort of mass working from home experiment and whilst it's come again at a price I think it has shown that there's a different way of working and sort of being at your desk all the time and presenteeism it didn't make sense before Covid and it definitely doesn't make sense now yeah we've probably mentioned a lot of them already but um when you're when you're editing this this hunk of a magazine and we've got all these reviews of 2020 and we've got all these people in the industry um forecasting and speculating on what could happen next year what stood out as themes if you like that's a really good question and possibly to an extent it was a case of uh, expect the unexpected and continue to do so i i, I was actually struck by um something that uh, I quoted the, the the former boss of Tesco saying, uh, this was Dave Lewis saying, he was at the time running Tesco in uh, still in April. He said, we've been through more change in a few weeks than we had in the previous 10 years. And I, I suspect in one way, 2020, 2021 is going to be a year of much less change. I think the change has happened and it's really how do we make sense of it. But in some of our essays, I mean, I'm just looking here at the year ahead in strategy and things like more openness, more generosity. Uh, that's from uh, Damien Lacastre at Droga 5. Lucy Jameson from Uncommon talks about change has to come with empathy, fierce, uncompromising empathy. Now, you know, that's it's interesting. Just those words there, empathy, generosity. This is going to be a very, very hard time. I think the continued toll of isolation and remote working, you know, it's not going to get easier in the short term. And I think you'll see some of the trends that happened in 2020 continue. But we also, as you mentioned with these forecasts, we also expect to see um, the market pick up a bit if only because it has been so it was so terrible back in spring 2020 it's not a normal recession and it's not going to be a normal recovery people i think are just grateful they've got to the end of 2020 to be honest yeah uh, I, I do sometimes scratch my head and wonder when was the period when we didn't have so much disruptive change in this industry you know we just we've still got brexit deal or no deal who knows to come uh, we've had the financial crisis, which was 11 years ago, but it doesn't feel like that long ago. And you, you always feel like we're adjusting to the last big seismic shift. And yet the pandemic has just accelerated things even further. Um, Gideon, um, thanks so much for coming on and we'll see you again soon. Right, we're going to next hear from Brittany Kiefer. Um, who's going to do a creative review of the year with Niels Leonard and Katie Mackay-Sinclair. Hello, I'm Brittany Kiefer, Campaign's Creativity and Culture Editor. Today I'm joined by two amazing guests, Katie Mackay-Sinclair, a partner at Mother, and Niels Leonard, co-founder of Uncommon Creative Studio. 
Hi, Nils and Katie. How are you today? Hi, everyone. Really good. Uh, I'm really good. I'm so looking forward to chatting to you both this morning. So I was thinking back about, we, you know, we at Campaign just created our annual edition. And so we were reflecting a lot about the past year. And I was thinking back to March, how, you know, we we found out we're going to be working from home and we were sent home from the office and it kind of felt like the last day of school. Like we, we all thought we're just going home for a few weeks to have a bit of a break. And then slowly it kind of dawned on us that this wasn't going to be a, a short-term thing. It was, and this was a, a big crisis. Can you both kind of take me back to the beginning of your year and how you thought, how you thought 2020 was going to go? And then when you realized this was going to be different? Sure. I mean, I think I have a somewhat bizarre take on that question, Brittany, because I was on maternity leave for nine months of this year. So um, in March, my wee boy was six months old. I'd finally come out of the kind of fog of what the hell am I doing? And I had the most spectacular summer plans <laughs> of all the things I was going to do. And then, then I got pulled probably a bit more back into work than I had been as we were deciding what are we going to do? And we shut the office before lockdown happened. My husband then was working from home, but not enjoying it at all. And uh, I felt like this was a really tough thing for everybody to go through, but I'm sure it would all be sorted and back to normal long before I returned to work in September. <laughs> How wrong I was. Yeah, it was like the whole world was in a kind of maternity leave in a way. <laughs> but with none of the meeting up and drinking Prosecco in the park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Nils? Yeah, well, I mean, um, we, we're we still kind of in a... We still feel like we're about six weeks old. <laughs> so at the start of the year, we had this thing, who knew, called a business plan, which I've worked out, basically. Everyone talks about it. It sounds really grown up. It's a work of fiction. You basically pretend how you want your year to go mixed with a dose of reality and fantasy and then write it down. And so we were like, genuinely, we, we picked up some brilliant clients at the end of the year before and we were really, really pumped about the year and then it all happened. You know, and weirdly, there wasn't a sense at all uh, in our camp of, you know, oh, it'll be a couple of weeks off. I mean, there was just like a genuine kind of terror from my side, which is like, being really honest, you know who I am. I felt a little bit like, oh, fuck, here we go. This is really going to get in the way. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, you know, I was just really terrified that it was going to screw it all up and it were things completely beyond my control and some of our clients were really struggling. Similarly, though, like almost immediately, our, our whole standpoint is rooted on a bit of a sense of emergency anyway and a, and a response to the world, I suppose, and all that stuff. So we went straight to work. I mean, ITV was straight out the gates with Britain Get Talking again. And so there was a really, in a weird way, honestly, it was like a get out of jail because we didn't have time to kind of ponder or scratch our bellies kind of going oh what's going on we were just straight into it and it felt like we were fixing an emergency I think it was far harder a couple of months later when it was just boring yeah that was that was when it really hurt we certainly had a very similar experience that once the shock of this being the new reality for us all kind of ebbed a wee bit we started looking at how we could keep job safe keep our people safe and keep mother safe and that is for mother the business but um also for all of our clients and i guess very quickly we committed to making no redundancies and then it meant just how finding a new way of working and i think the the funniest thing that my partner chris said was all of these i got kind of daily reports on what it was like working in lockdown and he said one of the things we spent so much time talking about over the years is how do we create a more flexible way of working and actually we all went home opened our Macs opened Zoom and there you have it and I think that's one of the most interesting things that to see from the outside being on maternity leave was just how quickly everyone adapted. Yeah, it's definitely easier than we all thought it would be. But on both of, you know, on both of your companies, like I, you know, I have memories of going into both of your offices, you each have such distinct atmospheres in your agencies, and it you can feel the creative buzz when you walk through the doors. And to me, that's always been something special about a lot of agencies that it has that strong culture. Um, how did you continue to I guess, create that or foster that environment when everyone is working remotely? Well, like I said, in a weird way, Brittany, like um, 
I, I actually really miss the office and, and although it is possible to work remotely, I think the office is a genuine competitive advantage. I think that the, these articles I've read about, you know, we're all going to never go back. I'm like, well, cool. If you want to come fourth place in absolutely everything, that's that's great because it just doesn't work the same. And, and I mean that from a point of view of energy more than anything else. L like I said, luckily, a load of the work kept forcing us together at speed in a slight panic. And that removed the ability to start going, what is my life <laughs> and where am I going and what am I doing? Um, after that period, it was about really trying to remind people of the culture from meeting to meeting. The annoying thing, you know, I would go from one meeting where we were suddenly making something massive or famous and everyone was like, oh, my God, hop onto another Zoom call. And of course, in an office, you would carry that energy with you. Whereas on a Zoom call, you get on that call and you can just see the completely different vibe. Maybe those guys have had some bad news or maybe they've just not had any news. <laughs> And you're like, oh, God. And you're suddenly having to try and inject that energy every time from meeting to meeting. And mm -hmm. I think that was the biggest challenge. It's like you can talk about kind of baking and all that other stuff. But the truth is that's not why people come to work at Uncommon, really. They want to be a part of a very urgent, you know, very positive, very impactful thing. I don't know if, Katie, that resonates with you. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you entirely. I mean, I miss the office so much <laughs> i've started going back in a bit and oh it was so wonderful to walk back through the doors i think it makes you realize how much you take your space for granted and yeah. then you can't have it and it feels like uh, some a massive hole but i mean i think we're probably quite fortunate being independent we probably were able to take a lot of decisions in this period that allowed us to maintain the culture and help our people get through it in a way that Perhaps we wouldn't have been able to if we were part of a network and the focus was much more on continuing to deliver to the bottom line. Um, so I guess we were able to take decisions from very early on that maybe would have been seen in another business as a cost, but we saw them as an investment in our people. So yeah. we've had a well-being at Mother program running since the start of lockdown, which ranges from brilliant talks from psychologists about managing stress and burnout when work-life balance and boundaries have disappeared to yoga at our desks and we've rolled out a winter wellness program where we've given everybody Wednesday mornings off so winter Wednesdays um, and Friday afternoons feel good Fridays and in terms of the work itself I remember kind of early on in lockdown it felt like everyone was just trying to figure out what to do and there was this wave of ads that it was you know dubbed the covid commercial like a lot of brands kind of started to share similar messages and make similar type of work um you know saying we're all we're with you and using a lot of like user generated or you know stock footage and but then it felt like there was a moment where the industry figured it out and figured out how to just keep going and making the same level of um, well-crafted and and strong work what do you think um what do you think of those those lockdown ads that came out in the beginning like what was that about and was there do you think that there was a moment for each of you personally where you did figure out how to keep doing things but in a different way yeah sure I and I think I guess the Microsoft Sam montage of all COVID ads looks the, look the same is the best reflection of what happens when every bit of what we do becomes conditional and everyone is crippled by fear and desperate to reflect that they understand how challenging these uncertain times are. The challenging thing was that everybody was in the same storm but in their own wee boat struggling with what was going on and I think there definitely seems like there was a, a moment of pause and reflect and perhaps panic but I do think that it felt for me like coming up for air when the KFC comeback ad came out and there was a real sense of wit and moving beyond the kind of bringing the violin somber nature of, of the work. I think the choice of Celine Dion's all by myself and we'll take it from here felt to me like a bit of a turning point. Mm. And I do think that brands and agencies that were able to do more than just the holding the mirror up to reality were those who had the confidence to, in spite of the wider context, stick to who they were in terms of tone of voice and brand world and swagger. Yeah. Mills, how did you guide your clients through that? I think creatives need to make. 
I, you know, you can look back and we can all go, oh, fucking COVID ads. But my God, honestly, an entire industry of people used to making and producing and putting things out into the world were suddenly told that they all had to go home and pack up and may not be able to do that anymore. And so half of me goes, you know, and it's right to recognise, I think, that just putting anything out at some point was a mark at that point. Because I honestly had friends who worked at client side and in some agencies, Katie, as well. I'm sure you know some who didn't make anything for six months. Genuinely, I think the, be the best thing, and I mean, this is the definition of purpose, right? This is where everyone talks about purpose. I remember talking to a load of people at that time going, has brand purpose ever mattered so much? Honestly, the best definition of purpose I can think of is that clients with one picked up the phone and said, right, Nils, we're going to do this thing. How do you think we should do it? They didn't hesitate. They didn't um and ah about whether they should take part in anything. They knew exactly what they were going to do. You know, I think one of the best bits of stuff we did in that period was Brewdog probably was a text to James Watt. We discovered you could flip a distillery. Uh, we saw some guys do it in Germany, texted him, wrapped it. And he, by Monday, the next day, he was doing that. A quote that lived with me this entire time is that there are two sorts of politics. I don't know if you've heard that. There's hope and fear. And don't forget at this point, it's super easy now. We've all had a big exhalation, but Trump was also building walls and building to an election and all this other stuff. And it was a very fearful place in every sense, right? And um, I saw every act of work genuinely and anybody having a swing as an act of hope, I suppose. And um, I think we've all got to give ourselves a bit of a cuddle for that because <laughs> uh, I don't think it was very easy. Building on that, like one thing that has surprised me, I suppose, is the spirit of collaboration and collectivism production has transformed and had to go through probably the most challenging lockdown and COVID experience as Neil said the process of making anything was challenging but to have moved so quickly to be able to get us all back to a place where we feel safe to make is absolutely phenomenal and I, I know that that's on the production teams in agencies in production companies all of the partners that we all work with and the fact that there's been so much cross-agency and cross-partner collaboration on that is is really heartening. Yeah, it shows how important making stuff is to, to all of us. Um, I think on the quote front from the KFC Global Brief, uh, which I think reflects the shift in mood once... Um, once perhaps a bit of the fear subsided, but also to Nils's point about if you really have purpose, then you know how to show up even when times get tough. And it was that everyone else is bringing the violin, we need to bring the banjo. That's so good. And I just think that's, that's so brilliant. Good. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely love that. Yeah. Do you think that anything has permanently changed about the way the industry makes work? We've probably all learnt that some things really are better when we're together but some things actually work better apart. I've, I've chatted to the, our heads of production about this and they're like, you know what, we've, we've discovered that we don't need to send everybody on a shoot, but actually we have worked out who is really, really important to be there. And that might help us put more money into the work, I guess, rather than into other aspects of the production. I think it's a really hard one to call because we're still in a will make stuff it's not an ideal um world by any shape of the imagination and i think everybody still has a hope that in a post-vaccine world we might get back to doing an awful lot of things the way we used to um so from a making point of view i i feel like it, it's too hard to tell provocatively i'm going to say no i reckon there's going to be a creep so just on that stuff I, I think people love being together i think shoots are fun i think everyone remembers can i think everybody loves flying people over for meetings when they don't need to because all that stuff whether we like it or not is definitely going to creep back in i don't i kind of don't want it to the, the on um the, the biggest thing i found was that creatives who were struggling to get space now know how to go do that they'll literally go home and they'll work on their own <laughs> and a load of the really interesting parts of the process for us were creatively when you disappeared you could go off go home on your own and the writing part was so pure you weren't interrupted by some bloke chatting about the football or <laughs> someone coming to see you on a dodgy retouch that they needed an opinion on. It was impossible. So a load of the decks I got back of the conception stage of our process were incredible, far more diligent, far more thought through and articulate. It fell down, of course, in the, in the creation section where you had to collaborate, you had to work together, you know, the craft side of things, design, editing, that stuff was really, really challenging. Let's talk about some of the work itself. I'd love to hear from each of you your favorite bits of the work that came out this year. So 
you can name one of your own and then talk about something else that your agency didn't make that you loved this year. I wanted to say hats off to Nils and the Uncommon team for um, the work they did with ITV this year as a whole, but the diversity piece of Britain's Got Talent blew me away. As the world watched on, another black life gone, leaving what we thought we knew in tatters. What we thought we knew, some clearly didn't. Black lives matter. Um, I saw that as a real person watching the telly and was like stunned. And then when I find out actually the whole story of it, so bravo, I think that was, I think that was brilliant. That's really kind, thanks. Pleasure. The, I think one of, gosh, one of the pieces of work that I love, I guess I've already talked about um, the KFC comeback ad, which I just feel like was levity when we all needed it. I feel like if I was going to pick one thing that really I love that we've made this year and it's it's top of mind because it kind of it's only just dropped our team have been developing a platform with Samsung called inspired by a true photo and it's a totally different approach to marketing for for the organization we started with a film about onions inspired by a photo a love story and um thank you (laughs) the guys have just dropped um a track with Sam Henshaw called All Good. It's it's genuinely a good track, so it's not one of those like, uh, I, uh, <laughs> nice one, you recorded a music track that no one's gonna listen to. That demonstrates uh i think an ingenuity and an ambition to do more than just what's expected in a category and to pull off the kind of production that didn't just get to the track but recorded a brilliant music video in covid times gives me hope that actually we can deliver phenomenal pieces of work that you would never know had to be developed in this new world of covid protocols brilliant uh, well, I, I got kind of annoyed because um, my immediate reaction, my background is design and, and loads of print and that stuff. So my immediate reaction when all this happened is I know what I'll do. I'll lean into brilliant still life because no one will have thought of that because it feels old school. And we'll do so the B&Q poster campaign, like we smashed that together. I was super chuffed with that. If wolves could talk, what would they say? They'd tell you an out of focus photo on the mantle can warm this place up. That fairy tales come in tins. And change isn't scary when you're holding a hammer. You don't buy a life, you build one. What a day it was, the day you found out you can do it. And then, of course, um, you know, you lot and and the IKEA work came out and I was fucking annoyed by that because I was like, (laughs) shit, someone has the same idea, which is to do some beautifully crafted posters. So bravo to you lot. Uh, I mean, they're genuinely like, I saw those. I was like, oh, that's annoying. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very big compliment from you. (laughs) No, no, no. I get I'm horrendous. Brit will tell you I'm just voraciously annoyed by anything good. So it it wound me up. Um, But the uh, vote the assholes out was phenomenal. You know, yeah. Patagonia just putting that shit on a label. It was just art that I think I think that will go for thousands of pounds in the future. You guys know that work? I mean, it's interesting because what we're talking about is brand creativity, but not in the form of a traditional ad. And that's something that the ad industry has been kind of saying it was going to do for a long time. And this year's really, really forced a lot of brands to change how they how they work. Do you think that it's also changed the general public's expectations of what they see from brands. Yeah, I, I find this one really challenging because I'm almost like, I think we kid ourselves if there's, if we think the general public have any expectation of us as an industry whatsoever. And I guess like to build on that, I feel like some of the most amazing examples of creativity this year came from areas that didn't even touch our industry. Like they came from real people. Captain Tom's walk or Marcus Rashford's initiative, creativity that real people, I think puts our industry to shame a bit. I think, Katie, I think there's something really interesting in that, which I've been weighing on about right or wrong as well, but they're not dependent. So our whole industry 
react and then our immediate reaction is to send our clients an email going you should do this well what have we done because captain tom didn't need to talk to a brand and rashford just went out and went i'm going to use my platform you know and i think there's something in that around all of us whatever we want to call ourselves i i completely see the um cue for help because most of the stuff we make is turgid pap we're not realizing the bit the problem bit isn't that we're stupid or not bright or not motivated the problem bit is our very first thing we do is hop on an email or a phone call and ask somebody permission to go and make something or do something and i think that's i don't know that's a problem for us i think yeah i think that's true you know and like on a more like light-hearted end of it it's like that ability to be so reactive and not beholden is also behind some of the work that i think is phenomenal this year that just the way the the four seasons total landscaping business like <laughs> leapt on that and launched merch you're like oh amazing <laughs> i'll tell you what katie i don't know about you man i don't know about you i'm gonna miss trump i'm commonly gonna miss trump we must I'm have not. Made... <laughs> I, no 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 i mean it's a creative canvas for it right like <laughs> honestly someone 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 <laughs> joked to me someone joked to me the other day they're like what are you guys gonna fucking do now in the states because all you've done is headbutt trump for fucking three years i was like oh yeah that's probably true i just also want to acknowledge that for a lot of creative people it's been a really tough time to even be creative and like really having to dig deep and find that motivation and that inspiration and I know I read a funny column the other day in the Gu- in the Guardian where someone was talking about post boredom like how we're all just beyond boredom now we're in this like it's just hard to feel anything and I guess like how do you personally as creative people how do you keep going and what what do you say to someone who's just really tired this year I mean, I've got one trick there, and it's the same trick I've always believed in. And to be fair, actually, Katie, it's something that Robert Savile told me yonks ago. He he came in and we had a chat and he said, "Um, I've read some of your stuff. And do you know the difference between the stuff you've said or written that's shit and the stuff that's good? And if you know Robert, he'll have said it exactly That sounds like like Robert. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, no, tell me, please. And he said, the stuff you've said that's um, good is the stuff you've said to talent that basically winds them up to a point where they have to go and do something. And I think that um, what I've learned is that creatives don't want money or indulgence or beanbags or water slides or any of that old shit. They want to matter briefly and they want to make things in a response to something and they want to put stuff into the world that their mum or lover or someone might say, I'm really proud of you. I think that what I would say is in a brief moment, if you find yourself scratching your head, don't go and write another advert for your cheese client stop and ask stop and ask yourself what you want to put a dent in and find your own space and go and fucking do it i I can agree more i think from a practical real world point of view we have given people space in their diaries through kind of creating that four-day week with the two half days in there because we feel that time out and fresh air and especially at this time of year daylight are really important there's one other thing Britt. like I hope I don't sound like I'm being all theoretical in a world where some people are like, yo, well, fuck you, you run on common or whatever. I'm really not. Like my, my point is, I try and frame it a different way. I started to go nuts about four months into all this crap and had to go and get on my stupid little scooter and go to the office because I forgot that it was real. And I was on just Zoom calls and I didn't feel it, but there was a slow creep, right? And that, honestly, I think that's depression. I think that's how it works. And you just look up some days and you're like, I just feel shit about it all. And I think the answer to that is other people. And you've just got to sometimes get on the phone or get on a screen, even if you don't really know why you're pressing the button, because other people's energy reminds you of your own. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it. a lot of creative people have been really hard hit by this year, just like everyone. And um, the creative industries need a lot of support, but also like creativity is so important and it's got us through these dark or boring moments I like what for each of you has what kind of creativity or cultural thing like has helped you get through these past months it that's not an advertising campaign um forgive me for being sentimental for a moment my wee boy in I feel like of all the years to have been on maternity leave and to have a baby turning into a toddler and starting to walk and babble uh, has 
really, really helped. I have gone beyond being bored of reading the same story to him because it's his favorite every evening. Um, I've become fascinated by how he discovers the world. And it's given me a way of escaping from the from the grimness of reality. I think likewise, some really good TV, but also some really shit TV. So I mean, I've I've really got into Below Deck on Netflix, <laughs> which I'm kind of I'm like I'm not even ashamed of. I absolutely love it because it switches my brain off. My, my like escapes Brit were so similarly though via my children, uh, an anime called Haikyuu. Okay, it's on Netflix. Okay, I've worked out anime, guys. I've worked it out for the first time in my whole life. Ex- explain it to me. All right, super simple. Okay, what anime does, the best anime, is it finds one subject and it goes so ruthlessly deep on it and eulogizes it in a way that romanticizes it. It literally is moving. So Haikyuu is the story of a Japanese volleyball team, a, a school volleyball team, <laughs> right? And they obsess about the characters. They obsess about the positions. I've learned more about volleyball in the last three months but it's hilarious they're like i can't believe he knew that strategy of speaking to his team would actually move them to tears you're like what is happening it's unbelievable i've leapt from that into food wars you know i love my food food you wars is a, food. is a slightly kind of like, gonna be honest slightly pornographic um anime about <laughs> a food cooking school mate i've lost my mind in here but um it's exceptional and it's like properly properly cool yeah we're just trying to get through the days <laughs> <laughs> I think back to the beginning of 2020, like our resolutions or goals for the year kind of seem a bit silly now. So I don't know if there's, uh, we know that we can't predict the year ahead and, and things won't go to plan, but what are your hopes for the next year? I guess I've got two. Um, on one side, we announced to the agency earlier this morning that we are returning the furlough money that we took from the government earlier this year. I feel that in April, we really, we really did welcome that money. We had so much uncertainty and fear. And I feel like all of the phenomenal work by everyone at Mother, we now find ourselves fortunately in a stronger position and don't feel that we need that money. So I'm really happy to return it. And I guess I hope that that for us as a business and for the industry is a line in the sand that we have more opportunities to do the right thing. From a personal point of view, motherhood has given me perspective and hope and ambition that is very different perhaps to what I've had before. For next, for now, next year and beyond, I have a deeper resolve to use our powers for good, for, for Mother Earth, for diversity in our industry and the work that we create to also use our powers for good for the brands and businesses that we champion and to help them bounce back. And I really just want to come home for bath time every day and know that my son would be proud of what his mummy did at work that day. I think that um, this year has been a narrative of change, but in a negative way. And I think that's what we've been struggling with. And I think next year is going to be incredibly, incredibly hopeful. I'm just going to inject it with this for a second which is I genuinely do. I think all of the pent up stuff, everyone's like, oh, we're going to party, like whatever, ignore that shit. I'd love to believe that we are pregnant with optimism and hope and completely unashamed need to go and make this world okay and to live our lives and to be, you know, in a really good place. And I think you're going to see some brilliant startups. I think you're going to see people come out of a fog. I think you're going to see companies stop fucking about, sitting on the fence. And I think um, this country in particular is going to need to find its its venom again, its fire again, because we're lost a bit. I think the creativity and the creative industries, and, and I mean that in the broadest sense, everything from hospitality and food through to music and, and art, are going to see a renaissance like we've never had. I really do. Yeah. Well, that's a, I think that's a hopeful note to end on. And I can't wait to see both of you in person again and just visit your offices and have a drink with you now <laughs> I took that for granted just seeing people in the industry um but thank you so much for joining me and just talking about this strange year with me mm-hmm. 
And finally, I mentioned last week that we are launching the Campaign Tech Awards for 2021. And joining me now is Sarah Salter, Head of Innovation at WPP Media Agency Wavemaker, who is the Chair of Judges for the Campaign Tech Awards, and we're very excited to have her. I started off by asking Sarah, what are the themes that she's expecting to come out of the award entries that we're going to get next year, and what she's going to be looking out for as Chair of the Judging Panel? So I think it's been an incredible year for innovation and actually everybody I've spoken to in kind of brand, media, tech, innovation side has said, you know, how much they have kind of turned to the power of technology this year to to engage consumers. Um, And I think, you know, as brands are, are embracing things like IoT and machine learning and finding new ways to, to reach consumers. This is a really uh, kind of pivotal moment for our industry. And I think these awards really represent that and they will give everybody the opportunity to not just showcase the great work they're doing, but how how the agencies and brands are leading kind of this positive change, um, because this is truly kind of the lifeblood and the future of our industry. Absolutely. And um, it's interesting because we've launched two new categories for next year. Um, and Sarah has any input in this. Um, one of these is um, we've got a prize for Tech Diversity Advocate of the Year. And this is going to reward an individual who has pushed forward the issues of diversity and inclusion over the past year. And individuals can enter themselves, they can enter colleagues or partners. Um, Sarah, why did we launch this Tech Diversity champion award well i think this year from kind of covid19 to black lives matters has really shown us that we're kind of past talking about change and actually really doing something about it we all know the impact that diversity can have on improving brands technology products and most importantly um, as we've all seen this year the world around us and although diversity and inclusion has moved forward there is still a really really long way to go And that is why it's so important that this year we really recognise those trailblazers and those people who are really driving um, change in our industry. Yeah. What's your feeling about um, the UK tech sector um, as it pertains to our bit marketing and advertising? Is it still dominated by tech bros, for want of a better term, you know, young males aged between... 25 and 40. It's definitely still dominated by certain groups, but I think we are starting to see a shift and we're starting to see that in some of the numbers as well. Uh, we're seeing more accelerated programs that are dedicated to helping LGBTQ founders, black founders. We're seeing more products that are open to more people. So I think we are starting to see a shift, but yeah, there is still a very long way to go. Indeed. Um, We've also launched a new category called Best Response to Change Using Tech, which rewards the technology and creativity of campaigns that adapted quickly to change. What are the big things in innovation you've seen this year? And what do you think might be a big theme for the awards when we go into next year? Um, I think there's a few. I think we're going to see the rise of kind of the micro entrepreneur. So we're seeing right now um, that five new businesses are founded every day, which is a 60% jump on last year. And those micro entrepreneurs are consuming completely different types of media. They're spending much of their day on work sharing platforms and conversational platforms like Slack. We're going to start to see brands building much more of a two way kind of personalized dialogue with consumers. Um, And also we're going to see these entrepreneurs monetizing as many of their assets as possible. The other thing I think is going to be huge is immersive experience. And, you know, that was very much, I think, in the previous years, kind of reserved for the brave and innovative brands. But actually today it's a necessity. Um, And we're kind of seeing the rise of conversational platforms and mixed reality has meant that, you know, it's key to to driving deeper engagement with consumers to use these platforms. There's a a great thing that's come out of Singapore called Running Stories, where you can run um, using location-based data in an immersive world. um, And it feels like you're a part of the story. I mean, I could go on forever. I've probably got about a million things, but I'll probably (laughs) end on on the one which I'm I'm most interested to see. So, and that is voice technology, because... All of the rumours are it's been so huge during lockdown. It's the usage has increased dramatically. Brands have been exploring more and more with this technology. 
And the first study I have seen, which came out last week, said that 86% of the UK public have used a voice assistant in the last six months and they're using them on a weekly basis. Things like Starbucks's deep personalisation and loyalty programme on voice is just going to show, you know, how big this technology can be over the next year i think it's gonna just absolutely explode yes definitely and would you say just in general it's it's the underlying technology or culture that is really changing to enable the things in terms of people using more voice recognition more location things when they're out and about is it you know better 4g better now 5g um for example or is it just people are more used to this tech and there are more applications of it all of the above. Um, I think, firstly, um, the adoption of this technology during COVID-19 has been obviously hugely accelerated. I think young children are getting older and, you know, like digital natives, we're starting to get that kind of real real voice native uh, growth. For voice, it's, it's the most natural kind of thing to do. It feels more human. I read a really interesting thing that said most children think that there's a person inside Alexa and that Alexa is a little, <laughs> is a human being. And I think, you know, <laughs> people are, are searching for that human contact. And the more we can make technology feel more human and improve our day-to-day lives, then the more we're going to see increased adoption. Um, it's really funny. I've, I've actually got three of these um, Amazon Echo devices in at home and I don't use any of them because I don't want um, the voice assistant listening to me all the time but I completely (laughs) hear what you say definitely hear you on that Um, Sarah Salter thanks very much thank you very much Omar thanks so much for listening to the campaign podcast join us next week as we review the year in media a huge amount to discuss and I'll be joined by two special guests for that This episode was edited by Lindsay Riley. Thanks, Lindsay. And I'm going to say executive produced by Omar Oaks. Um, I've always wanted to be an executive producer. So there you go. I just made myself one. Please do subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss future episodes. And of course, remember, you can get all the latest industry stories on campaignlive.co.uk as well as see the UK's latest major ad campaigns. Please stay safe, be kind to one another, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.